Well, take your, uh, take your notes tonight, and out of curiosity, anybody, anybody get in here tonight that did not get the notes, raise your hand. We want to have one of the guys get you a copy. Just raise your hand if you need the notes. We're going to be covering a lot, and the notes will help you just to kind of stay up with where we're at. Anybody at all needs a copy, and it looks like everybody did well getting, getting uh, the notes. If you would, turn to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, which is where we'll be tonight. As we get back into our series, Route 66, for you that may be visiting tonight, we are making a journey last year with all that was going on. We studied, we began in that period between the Old and New Testament and uh, that intertestimonial period, and we covered the books of the New Testament. And as you can see on the slide, what we're doing now is uh, we've moved into the Old Testament, and we have begun with the first book, the book of Genesis. Last week, we studied the book of Exodus. Tonight, we come to the book of Leviticus, and this is, just so that you're aware, this is what you would consider to be an overview of a book. So again, we can get way deeper. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I could probably spend a couple years teaching and preaching from the book of Leviticus. Um, I don't consider that I do justice to any of these books, especially in one setting, but uh, the whole idea, the whole concept is to give you maybe a skeleton that you can then flesh out in your own studies, and I hope that some of these prove to be something, if you keep them all, that when you're studying your Bible or a book of the Bible, you can go and not that, not that I'm giving you everything, but it's something you might use as a reference point when you go to study a certain book. And I know these have helped me just to get reacquainted or get acquainted with a book of the Bible. Tonight we come to the book of Leviticus. If you have your Bible open there, I want you to notice a couple verses as we get into this. And I didn't put this up on the slides or anything, but I want you to see a couple verses here. Notice, first of all, in my Bible, yours may not say this, but there's a header that says the third book of Moses. Does your Bible have that? The third book of Moses, and notice it says it's called Leviticus. So if you notice on the screen, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the Penta 5 and the Tuk is actually five things or five books, five items Moses, God used, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but God allowed over 40 different writers in this uh, section of the Bible, the first five books that are put together were written by the same man. Now remember, these aren't Moses' words, these are God's words, because it's the Bible, the Holy Bible. So notice here that, now uh, I can't read the other column, that's the Hebrew there, but I can tell you that it says Leviticus, all right? And so notice here, this is where we are tonight. Now, verse number one of chapter one says, and, now notice the word and is what kind of word? Come on, some of you English people. Conjunction. Conjunction. Who said that? Very good, all right? Now, remember, I said that, that these books are a continuation, right? So the book of Leviticus continues from the book of Exodus that continued from the book of Genesis. Now, notice as we read, and the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him. By the way, that was many times God's way is God speaks to a man or God speaks to a leader. In this case, it was Moses. And notice, and spake unto him out of the 
tabernacle of the congregation, saying, here's what God said to Moses, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock, if his offering be a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Now we can read on, but I wanted to reacquaint you with the fact that when you get to chapter 1 of Leviticus, God jumps right in. There's no introduction. God just moves right into the content of what this book is about. So notice I give a title to each one of these books. In your notes, this would be considered the book of atonement. Notice he talked about an offering. So this third book, which is a section known as the law, is a part of the Pentateuch. The Hebrew name that's given to this third book of Moses is the title is, here it is, The Lord Called. That's, that's what it's titled. The Lord called, and we see here that it was called Leviticus. Why? Because it deals primarily with the Levitical priesthood, the services of the priest, and the law of the sacrifice. So when we think about this, God sets in order after he deals with the tabernacle. Remember, Exodus was all about the construction of the tabernacle and, and all, the, all the pieces of, of what would make up the tabernacle and all the furniture that would be in the, the temple and uh, eventually the temple, but now the tabernacle that God had given to them. And so when we come to Leviticus, God is dealing primarily with the Levitical priesthood, the services of the, that priesthood, and the law of sacrifice. Now when Moses was with the Lord, and he was receiving from God on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. Do you remember, and I shared it last week, that remember that as they were up there, the people were saying, we, we don't know what's become of this man Moses. He was gone for quite some time. They were unsure if maybe something happened to him. Maybe he, he dropped over dead. They didn't know what happened. And as a result of that, Aaron, remember, makes a golden calf. Uh, and, and again, instructing the people to begin to worship. Now, what's interesting is, is that when Moses comes down later on, Moses asks the people, and here's what he asked them, who is on the Lord's side? That's what he asked them. You know, I, I mentioned today about how Jesus talked about the two worlds, one that's lower and one that's higher, one that is uh, humanly speaking, that's temporal, one that is spiritual, that's eternal. Look, that decision, I mentioned Joshua's decision this morning, you find the same thing going on in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, where Moses says to the people, whose side are you on? Who are you going to serve? Now listen, this is key. Because remember, I just mentioned that the book of Leviticus deals primarily with the Levitical priesthood. Because what happened is, is when Moses came down, he saw what Aaron had done, he saw what the people were doing, he asked them, Who's, who is on the Lord's side? Here's what the Bible records, that all, all, not some, all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. 
See, the, the, the tribe of Levi, all the sons, you know what they were saying by that decision? We're on the Lord's side. We're interested in doing things God's way. We're not interested in Aaron's molten calf. We're not interested in, in just coming up with our own gods. We want to serve the true God. And that's why we find in the book of Leviticus, God is dealing primarily with the Levitical priesthood. Now notice as this book, again, connects with the preceding book, Leviticus is related to Exodus the same way that the epistles are to the four gospel records. Now, again, let me just want to make sure we're all on the same page. We have the four gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the New Testament. And then we have the book of Acts, which is a transitional book uh, from the time of the, the gospel records ending about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see the beginning of the church, the New Testament church, that Jesus began and as a result of that, then we see those writings of Paul that are called church epistles. And so we find that those church epistles tie together with what Jesus began. Look, they would not contradict what Jesus started. They actually tie together. And if we notice here that as you study, and I think it's a great study, that Exodus is the record of redemption. And it lays the foundation. Now look at what it lays the foundation for. It lays the foundation for cleansing. It lays the foundation for worship. It lays the foundation for service, which is what we're highlighting the month of February on Sunday mornings, service of a people that have been redeemed by their God. See, God tells us, boy, that's a word that is grossly misused today in churches is this word worship. The word worship means to be worth-ship, to be worthy of. And listen, only God is worthy of our worship. And a lot of worship today is worshiping man instead of worshiping the true God. So what we find in the book of Leviticus is a foundation of cleansing. God says, be ye a holy people, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord. God wants us to be a, look, how can we cleanse ourselves? There's no spiritual bar of soap. But I'll tell you what we can do by the washing of the water of the word. God's word will cleanse your mind. It will cleanse your life. It'll, it'll do a work in your life that nothing else on this earth can do. And we find the foundation of cleansing. We find the foundation of worship. We find the foundation of service all in the book of, Le of Leviticus. And notice as we see this of a redeemed people to their God, the Israelites then here built upon this foundation in the book of Leviticus. That's why it's so important. Uh, how many of you know that this matter of cleansing, being clean before our God, this matter of true worship, this matter of serving God are big things for God and big things for the Christian. And the foundation of them are found here in the book of Leviticus. Now, in Exodus, God, this is important, the last book we looked at, the second book of Moses, speaks out, God speaks out from the mount, Mount Sinai, and he is speaking out of that mountain to which they were they were approach was forbidden they were not supposed to come close to god on that mountain remember how moses he took joshua part of the way 
and he had Joshua wait, and he went up alone and spent time with God. Now, that, that was in the book of Exodus. In other words, it was God's way of bringing God's man up there to himself. The people were forbidden in the book of Exodus to approach God. But watch what changes in the book of Leviticus. He now speaks out not from the mount. He speaks out from the tabernacle in which he dwells. Boy, isn't that beautiful? We talked about that this morning, how that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's New Testament Bible right there. But notice it says that in the book of Leviticus, God speaks out from the tabernacle in which he dwells, and he speaks out to his people, now watch this, as they approach him. Now can I just tell you, God wants us to approach him. The Bible says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. God's, God, God's not playing hide and go seek. <laughs> you know, a lot of times people make comments like, the big man upstairs, to me, excuse me, that's disrespectful. To me, that borderlines blasphemy. I even hate saying it. But understand that God wants us. We are his children. He wants us to come to him. And the Bible teaches us here in this book that he wants us to come to him and to approach him. But listen, how must we come? We must come to him clean. I will tell you this, study it out. The high priest, he needed to make sure that he had things in order in his life and in his heart before he went into the presence of a holy God. And a lot of times we come before God with dirt on our hands and dirt in our hearts. We don't realize that we're coming into the presence of a holy God. One thing you're not going to find in heaven is sin. God is holy. And sin and God do not dwell together. And I love the book of Leviticus. A lot of people don't look at it this way. But I'm just sharing you what the book really deals with. And I want you to look at the contents. The contents of the book of Leviticus are purely legislative. Now, when, you, when I say that, what I'm talking about is there are laws that you find in the book of Leviticus. These laws are civil laws, there are ceremonial laws, there are moral laws, there are religious laws, and yes, there's even sanitary laws. You say, wow. You know why? Because people need to understand God, and they need to understand things the way God has intended them to be, and so I want you to look at this. Now, I don't know if you can read it, maybe you can, but this is a layout, and I just want to quickly give you an overview, because if you look, it begins in the first six or seven chapters with the laws of offerings, then it moves to the laws of consecration of the priest, then it moves to the laws of purity. Pull it down just a little bit if you can, a little bit, there you go. And then move it over to, the, to my left. There you go, doing a great job. Now look up here, look at chapter number 10. See at the top, he deals with strange fire. He deals with uh, eating and what you can touch and what you can't touch, about how women conceive, leprosy, the cleansing of leprosy, the unclean issues. He deals with the day of atonement, the blood slaughter, the uncovering of nakedness. Uh, he deals with Molech, the priest rules. There are so many things that God deals with in the book of Leviticus, and that's why when I show you here in your notes that it is purely legislative. 
And those things that you find in the book of Leviticus, there are many laws, as I showed you there. There are those laws that deal with civil and ceremonial and moral, but the ones that are probably give the most attention are the ones that are religious and the ones that are ceremonial. And we need to understand this as we study this book. Now, there are various sacrifices and feasts and rites and ceremonies that are mentioned in the book of Leviticus. And what's neat about them, if you study them out, is what you find when you look at those rites or those feasts or whatever it may be, is they are typically about Christ. That's what they are. And they're about the shadow of good things to come. And you know, it's like years ago, I was reading where uh, they buried someone one time, and when they, when they buried them, they placed in the casket a fork. And somebody said, wow, that's kind of a strange thing to put in the casket. What, what's that all about? Is that their favorite fork? And, and it was really to say that, that there are, are better things yet to come. And when you read the book of Leviticus, remember that the Bible was not yet complete. Uh, you read the book of Hebrews, and there is so much that ties together with the book of Leviticus and the books that, that God gave Moses to write those words down. So notice it says here, the book of Hebrews is said to be a commentary on the book of Leviticus. You can read them. Matter of fact, I would strongly suggest that you read them together, that you maybe read them side by side. You'll find a lot of things that tie together. Now, as you look at the book as a whole, there's 27 chapters, 859 uh, verses in there, and there are 24,546 words. And remember, the Bible says that every jot and tittle, every word is inspired of God. And so we need to make sure we pay attention to every last thing that God gives us in this third book of Moses. Now, the character of the book is that of the law, which we saw in the last book. The Bible says, look at this verse, Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now notice what he said. Did you miss it? That all things must be fulfilled. Do you know that everything that God has said, every promise he's ever made, either has been or will be fulfilled? concerning Christ. You can take it to the bank. And so we see here that the character of this book is the law. The subject of the book of Leviticus is the acceptable way, listen to that, the acceptable way. Who do you think uh, would, would want it to be that way? God. God says there is an acceptable way to approach me. I'm a holy God. And so Israel needed to understand this. By the way, you can see this bleed over into the New Testament. Now, the, God is writing primarily to the nation of Israel here in the book of Le Leviticus, but not only does he deal with the approach to a holy God, but then it's also with a walk that is a holy walk because God wants them and God still wants us to be an acceptable people, one that he is well pleased with, and that is the subject. Now, the purpose is very close to that because look at what it says here for the purpose this book is to teach us the only acceptable way of approach unto a holy God and the holy walk becoming as us as an accepted people. And again, folks, look, I don't know about you, but when I was in Bible college, I had all kinds of teachers, professors, whatever you want to call them. And I remember, I don't know where I heard it, but they said, if you want to do well in college, 
Uh, you can be a great student, but if you would just learn your teacher, just learn your instructor, learn what he expects, what he wants from you as a student, and give them what they want, then you will do well. And I'm going to tell you that works. And when I think of this book, along with other books of the Bible, I want to learn what God wants, what God expects, and that's what I want to do. I want to be acceptable in the sight of God, and that's the whole purpose of this book. Look at a couple of verses here, Ephesians 1, 7. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hebrews chapter number 10, I mentioned how it's a great commentary on the book of Leviticus. Notice the Bible says, having therefore brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us. And look at these words, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Remember, there was a veil that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the tabernacle, and that veil was the very uh, body of Jesus Christ. Remember that when Jesus died on the cross, what happened in the temple? The veil rent in two. Now remember, there was no seam in that veil, but the veil rent in two, and the Bible says that that veil is his flesh. And having an high priest, and that's what Jesus is to us, over the house of God, he, the Bible says, let us, he commands us to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies, here it is again, talking about cleansing, our bodies washed with what kind of water? Pure water. Listen, when I was a Catholic boy, and I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing, and I walked in the church, they always had some water in the back of the church. That water was nothing more than water right out of the tap. But the Bible says here that we need to make sure that we have our bodies washed with pure water. Now, when you look at the book of Leviticus, here's a two-point, simple outline, 27 chapters. Notice the first part of it, chapter 1 through 10, deals with the way to God. Well, how do we get to God? By sacrifice. And listen, Romans chapter 12, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Hey folks, nothing has changed. We are not Israel, but God still expects us to come to him. And when we come to him, there's going to have to be a sacrifice. The way it's broke down here in the book of Leviticus is, notice first of all, the first seven chapters deal with the law of the offering. God goes, and we've started into the very first one in chapter number one. God deals with the burnt offering. God deals with the meal offering. God deals with the peace offering. God deals with the sin offering. God deals with the trespass offering. Hey, listen, that's more than a mouthful right there. Study those offerings and what each one of them is about, why there were different offerings, each one very significant. It was all about a way to God through sacrifice. Once you get to chapter 8, 9, and 10, it deals with the law of the priesthood. We saw a little bit of that on the chart that was up there. Remember, that deals with the Levitical priesthood. And so as you think about this, it deals with Aaron and his sons. It deals with the fact that uh, at this particular time, it was the inauguration of the priesthood, the beginning of the priesthood, and those services that they would provide in the tabernacle. Because 
In the book of Exodus, God just established the setting up of the tabernacle. But in the book of Leviticus, he is laying out the groundwork, the laws on how things were to be performed. Hey, listen, people come into our church, and Brother Kenny does things like this right here, which is an order of service. You know why we do that? Can you imagine coming to church if there was no order to church? God is a God of order. God's not a God of disorder. And we want to make sure that when we come together to worship God, that every aspect of our worship is ordered by the Lord. Now, look, I've told Brother Kenny, if God decides that he wants to do something different, then so be it. Listen, I want the Holy Spirit to have freedom that if he wants me to change a song or change my message or whatever it may be, we want God to have his way in his house and in our hearts and lives. And so when we look at this, yes, there are the laws, the laws of the offering, the laws of the priesthood all deal with the way to come to God in an acceptable way, and that's by sacrifice. Now look at the second half, deals with our walk with God, and this is something that many times people don't realize. When you get saved, that's called justification, just as if I had never even been a sinner. Why? Because we cannot save ourselves. God saves us by his own precious blood. But once we are saved, then God wants us to live a sanctified life. The word sanctified means set apart, holy, acceptable unto God. We are not priests. We're not a part of the Levitical priesthood. But I'll tell you what we are. We're believer priests. The Bible teaches that. Peter writes that in the New Testament. So when you look at our walk with God by sanctification, notice it deals, again, with various laws. First of all, the law of purity. You find from chapter 11 to chapter 16, he deals with, listen to this, pure food. He deals with having your body pure. So many people today abusing the body, doing things to the body that's not pleasing to God. Hey, listen, don't, don't, don't desecrate the temple of God. That means don't pour something in your body. Don't let something puff out of your mouth. It's polluting the body. Don't mark up your body. Why? Because it's God's. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He deals with pure food. He deals with uh, this matter of, of keeping your body pure. He's dealing with pure garments. He's dealing with having your house pure. He's dealing with being a pure nation. And of course, specifically there, the nation of Israel. Those are all the laws of purity, chapters 11 to 16. When you get to chapter 17, he deals with the law of holiness. Now watch this. Boy, you want a section of the Bible to study? Look at these areas of holiness he deals with personal holiness. Now, if you're right with God personally, guess what? Then you'll understand what it means to have family holiness. Then he deals with socially being holy. He deals with the priesthood, being a holy priesthood. He deals with the holy feast in those chapters. And so all of that, the law of holiness. And then he ends the book, chapters 25, 6, and 7, with other laws. Now, those laws would be laws of the sabbatical year, the law of the year of jubilee. He deals with the law of obedience, the law of disobedience. He deals with vows. The Bible says that, listen, we ought not to vow a vow to God if we're not going to keep it. Whatever vows we make with God, God keeps his promises. And so be careful about making a vow that you're not going to keep. And he deals with the law of the tithe. See, a lot of times people think, well, you know, listen, tithe is just Old Testament. Do you know that you find the, law, the, the tithe before the law 
during the law and after the law. You can find tithing in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And understand that God lays down these laws which help us with our walk with him. See, God wants us to be a sanctified people. So watch this. We were justified at the moment of salvation. We are being sanctified, and one day, praise God, we will be glorified with the Lord. And so listen, our sanctification, it's a process. That's why every one of us, we are under construction, and we will stay under construction until the Lord calls us home or the Lord comes back for us. And so there's a simple outline. Now notice the scope of the book. It deals with the children of Israel, and, and watch this. They are basically marking time at Mount Sinai. Moses is up on the mount with God, and so the book opens, and the book actually concludes at the same geographical location. They never left Mount Sinai. That's where God gave them the law. Do I have the map? I showed this last week. Notice here on, on your left, if you look all the way at the top, you see Ramses there. That's the land of Egypt. You see them coming down, of course, the crossing of the Red Sea. You see them coming down. Of course, remember the wandering in the wilderness, right? They couldn't have, couldn't have done things the easy way. I'm sure there must have been a guy driving because they weren't reading directions. And so, so notice they come all the way down. So at the very bottom of the peninsula, notice it says Mount Sinai. So the rest of that we'll eventually get to. But this is where they come to when we get to the book of Leviticus. They've gone nowhere. Why? Because God was spending time establishing the laws with Moses before they left. So the book here starts, it opens, it concludes at the same geographical location. Notice it says Exodus concludes with the tabernacle. This is the previous book. Remember the tabernacle was constructed and what happens? Remember how we concluded last week? The glory of God came down and filled the tabernacle. Oh, what a day that was. Now, when you get to the book of Leviticus, it gives the order and rules of worship in the tabernacle. See, God is establishing, okay, now you got the tabernacle, what do you do? How do you behave? By the way, it's still true in the church today. God wants us to behave ourselves in the house of the living God. And so it's wonderful to see these boys and girls in here tonight. I know that they'd much rather be running around playing, but listen, it's good for even kids to be in the house of God. Kids are never too young to learn the Bible. And to be honest with you, sometimes those kids know more than us adults, just to be honest with you. But notice here that as we look at the writer, I mentioned earlier, it was Moses that God used. And who did he write to? The book, again, in general, was written to Israel. But also, notice here, it was to the Levites in particular. Now, a little bit about the Levites. They were descendants of Jacob's son, Levi. And of course, you have the Levites, the Levitical tribe. They were selected to serve God in the Holy Temple. And as, as a result, the, the, their selection, the, the temple was not even anywhere in the picture at this time. It was the tabernacle that God established. And so in the case of the tabernacle, Notice Jacob's sons, the Levites, were responsible for doing what? For packing up. Think about this. I mean, you go back and read how much, uh, how, how much material and, and how the, I mean, I can't even imagine when they left Egypt's land, everything that they used to build, all the things for the tabernacle was not in the shape and form that it was. And then they built it all and God had a certain way that it would be transported and so notice that the priests, what, what would they do? They would pack up, they would transport, and then they would reconstruct it 
and the tabernacle would be set up again, and they would do that as God would say to them, I want you to move, I want you to set up. I want you to move, I want you to set up. And this was what the Levites did. And I guarantee you, I have to believe that the Levites did not complain. They considered it an honor and a privilege to set up the house of God. And I thank God for those in our church that are a part of being a part of setting things up, helping, cleaning, and so on here at our church. Now, when was it written? Between Somewhere between 1440 and 1400 B.C. And it was written probably in the wilderness as far as the journeys. And you saw that on the map. Again, we, we look at Acts 7, verse 37. Moses would said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. That's what God gave to Moses, and then Moses gave it to the people. And so we find here that it was written while they were in their journeys, while they were wandering around. The key chapter is chapter 16, which deals with the Day of Atonement. What an amazing chapter, and this is something that God wants us to be aware of, this matter of atonement, which is what the book of Leviticus is all about. The key verse Chapter 19, verse number 2, God tells, listen, speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel. And here's what God says I want you to say unto them. Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. How many of you think that's still the way God wants it? Right? But a lot of times we don't think about that. But God said in the Old Testament, and he says it in the New that he is a holy God, he wants us to be a holy people. The key words are very close-knit. The word holiness is used 87 times in the book, and the word holy is used 65 times. The key phrase I just showed you is, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the key phrase. Now notice the Old Testament, New Testament, the verse out of our book tonight, Leviticus 11:44. for I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy Neither shall ye defile yourselves, notice these words, in any manner of creeping things that creepeth upon the earth. So God says, listen, be a holy people, a sanctified people, a set-apart people. Peter wrote, because it is written. Where do you think Peter heard this from? The Old Testament, when God gave it to Moses, and he wrote, be ye holy, for I am holy. Nothing changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the key thought to the book of Leviticus is the laws of a nation. God was giving them a roadmap, the laws that they would live by, the spiritual thought. Here it is, get right with God. I think that's the key to the Christian life. Not only get right, but stay right with God. Now, a couple things that I think are unique about the book, and I wanted to share with you tonight. Here's the first one is the seven feasts. And uh, this is a great study. They're mentioned in chapter 23. I gave you the verses. I'm not going to go uh, through those in the Bible tonight, but the Passover deals, of course, with uh, Christ being our Passover and him bearing God's judgment. The unleavened bread deals with practical holiness of uh, a people that are redeemed. The first fruits deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus, I mentioned this morning, is the first fruits of all them that should follow after him. The Feast of Pentecost, 
you see there in the middle of the chapter deals with, of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Bible mentions the promise of the Holy One, the promise of the Father in the New Testament, the, the Feast of the Trumpets. This is a great one here. It's to herald the good news of the Feast of Atonement. Now think about that. God's about to atone for our sins, and this is the heralding of the good news. And by the way, we still need to tell people today that Jesus saves. And people need to hear that. He'll save them from their sins. Then we have the Feast of Atonement in chapter 23, dealing with how they were mourning for and uh, because of the sin in their lives and how God delivers them from sin. And then the last one of the feasts mentioned in chapter 23 is the Feast of Tabernacle. And of course, the Feast of Tabernacles is a reminder to them of the redemption, how God redeemed them out of Egypt. God called them out of the world, so to speak. Uh, of course, Egypt is a type of the world. Now listen, again, I did no justice to those feasts, but that would be a tremendous study in and of itself to study those seven feasts, and you can go to one chapter in the book of Leviticus and find those. Another thing that I think is unique to the book is a cycle of sevens. I love this. When you look in the book of Leviticus, you find that this Levitical system of feasts and seasons, that it was established on a cycle of sevens. Now, what I mean by that is, is every seventh day was a Sabbath. When you look in here, every seventh year was a sabbatical year. Then you find that every seventh sabbatical year was followed by a year of Jubilee. Then you also find that the Feast of Passover was a feast, a festival that lasted seven days. Also, the Feast of Tabernacles lasted seven days. In other words, you find a cycle of sevens in the book of Leviticus. Now, the Bible actually begins, remember how God created, uh, it, it, hold on a second, I'm going to stay here for just a quick second before we go on to that. So there, there is this cycle of sevens. Now, when you think about this, you, you look at God's creation, and of course, God created this world in six literal days, and on the seventh day, what did he do? He watched the Super Bowl. No, I'm just kidding. He rested, right? And that's why, listen, we have gotten so far away. Do you remember, and I'm going to date myself, do you remember when shops and stores were closed on the seventh day? When people wouldn't sell things, and people wouldn't deliver papers, people wouldn't work in restaurants. You know what the seventh day's become? It's just become another day for people. Another day to make money. How about this? Just another day to forget about God. That's what the seventh day's become. And so when you look in the, the Bible, God begins his word with seven days of creation and rest. And, and I think it's unique because he ends the Bible, the book of the word of God, with a book of sevens, and that's the book of Revelation. I, I, this afternoon, I just got so tickled, I was going over this again, how God ends with the book of Revelation. Listen to this, and you can look it up yourself. Every one of these words are straight from the pages of the book of Revelation. How about this? In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches. There are seven letters. 
There are seven spirits. There are seven golden lampstands. There are seven stars. There are seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, 7,000 people, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven golden vials, seven mountains, and seven kings. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's a cycle of sevens in the book of Leviticus. God also shows a cycle of sevens in the last book of the Bible. It's an amazing thing when you look at it. Of course, we understand that the word, the, the number seven is a, word, a number of perfection or completion. And I love that you see that even here in the study of the book of Leviticus. Now, every book, because of our theme this year, we've talked about Christ being magnified. And again, in the book of Leviticus, I want you to see how we can see Christ in this book. Put that picture up again of the tabernacle. Last week, we looked at this, and again, we see the entrance, the, the entrance curtain there. We see the altar of sacrifice. We talked about that labor, and then, of course, you see this structure inside of it where we have the holy place inside of there. You have the table of showbread. You have the lampstand. You have the, the altar of incense, and then you have the veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies and inside that holy of holies is where you have the ark of the covenant of course you have that outer court area i mentioned that this morning and so you have all of this now when you look at this tabernacle there i want you to keep that picture in mind as we think of ways that the lord is magnified or seen in the book of leviticus first of all he is seen as our great high priest and we see this in the book of Leviticus, how Jesus offers sacrifice. What sacrifice did Jesus offer? It wasn't a lamb. It wasn't a bullock. It wasn't birds. Jesus offered himself for our sins. He did that to satisfy the law of a holy God. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And so when we think about this, yes, God established the priesthood and once a year the high priest would go in. But aren't you glad that just not some man like you and I that was a sinner by nature, but Jesus, the sinless son of God, became our great high priest and only Jesus could have satisfied the just demands of a holy God. And so we find Jesus as our great high priest. Now, we also see Aaron in the book of Leviticus that Aaron as the high priest, he is a picture, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that Aaron gives access to God, our Father. And so notice as Aaron would go in, he would go in for the people. The Bible says in Leviticus 16, look at it, Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock uh, of the sin offering, which is for himself, and he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Hebrews chapter 9, this great commentary on Leviticus says, and into the second, talking about the holy of holies, went the high priest alone once every year, not without the blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Now, the only difference is that Jesus was sinless. He was not taking that blood there because of anything that he had done, because our iniquity was laid upon him. And so understand that Aaron is a type 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could see a beautiful picture there of him going in and giving us access to God the Father. Another way, and I love this beautiful picture, how Jesus is pictured in the book of Leviticus, is he is the scapegoat. What a great picture we have here of how they would take two goats and that they would let one go and that goat carried the sins of the people into the wilderness and he would do that to cleanse them. In chapter 16, the Bible says, when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquity unto the land not inhabited and he shall let go the goat into the wilderness. Peter writes about this in the New Testament. Notice the Bible says of Jesus who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. And listen, our sins were placed upon him. That's why Jesus prayed in the garden and said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus knew what that cup represented. Jesus knew that the weight of the sin of the world, your sin and mine and everyone that's ever been born of woman, that our sins was placed upon him. When I read about how the priest would would pray and put all the sins and all the iniquities on the head of that goat, I think to myself, listen, that, that was a poor goat having to go through that. But listen, I think of how much Jesus went through and took everyone's sin past, present, and future, and he, and listen, every last sin was nailed to the cross so that we could have eternal life. When I look at Jesus in this book of Leviticus, yes, I see Aaron as a type of Christ, as the great high priest of our profession, and I love this thought here. Watch this. What Aaron was to Israel, Jesus is to us. What Aaron did for Israel, Jesus does for us. You study it out. I love how Aaron appeared before God with the names. And, and uh, I may, maybe I have a picture of this. Do I have a picture of this? There it is right there. And again, this is probably the best I could do. But if you notice here on, on your left, my uh, I, well, it's my left now because I turned around. But, but notice here, this is the ephod, all right? And this is the four rows, and this is three across, making how many? Twelve. Why twelve? 12 tribes, and I don't know if you can notice, but on each one of them, it's in Hebrew, are the names of every one of the tribes. That was on that ephod. As he went in before God, on on the right, this is the shoulder piece that that actually uh, attached. You can see the chain coming up, and on that, on each shoulder were six names of the six tribes. You had 12 names, one on each shoulder. As he went in, it was a reminder of that high priest that he was going in for all the people. It wasn't just for him. And I I love this thought here, how that Aaron appeared before God. He took the names of the 12 tribes on his breast. The Bible says in Leviticus 8 that he put upon him the coat and girded him with the girdle and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod upon him. And he girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod and bound it 
unto him therewith. Look at Exodus 28, 12. And thou shalt put two stones, here they are, upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Now Jesus too, just like Aaron, what does he do? He presents us to God. Our cause, the Bible says, is upon the hands of the Lord. And Isaiah said it this way, he says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Colossians 1.21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. Jude said it this way, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Hey folks, listen, there's no picture that, that we could take. This is a poor picture, but I'm going to tell you when I saw this, it just helped me to be thinking about how my great high priest, Jesus, has taken my sins and he's taken them to the Father. And listen, we have an advocate and our advocate is not Mary. Our advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous, the just. And I love how Jesus is there in heaven today at the right hand of Father. He is making intercession for you and me. And I love the fact that he loved us so much that he would bear our sins. And when I come to this book, the book of Leviticus, I really believe that it was rightfully named Leviticus because it deals with the atonement that God expects of us. And God wants us to understand that the way to him is through sacrifice. And as we walk with him, it ought to be a walk that is sanctified. God is still looking for a holy people. And I believe that with all my heart. And let's be a church, let's be a people that God is pleased with holy, acceptable in the sight of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your precious word. I pray that you would bless as we have just blown through the book of Leviticus. God, so many things just came to my mind and heart. I know that many that were listening probably were thinking about things. Lord, may we not lose those things. Maybe even when we get home, write a few things down. Help us as we study your word. Thank you for this book that a lot of times people just get bogged down, all the laws, all the things, the, the ceremonial things. Everything has a purpose. There is a reason that it's there. And God, may we find your purpose, the reason that you've given us this book in your word. And may we study it and may we draw closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen.